Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. Please join me in a prayer of illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover our peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being, Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What I find so powerful about this psalm is that even if you didn't know who wrote it, even if you didn't know the circumstances behind it, one thing is very clear that this is a psalm being poured out from the heart of someone who has failed in a very, very, very epic way. I was thinking to myself that given what we know of how the media works today, if this happened, if we knew this king, this president, this prominent person had fallen the way he did in our time, of course, it would be on every, every news outlet. I recently read about a young preacher back in the 1970s who was so taken with the latest 
bestseller. The, one of the bestsellers in the 70s was, I'm okay, you're okay. And this preacher was so taken with this book that he gave it rave reviews in his sermon that morning. And at the end of the sermon, he's standing at the door, he's greeting people. And uh, this really good friend of his in the church was going through and he said, you know, so what do you think? What did you think about the sermon that I gave? And the man responded, well, first of all, Pastor, I haven't read the book, but maybe the way you're talking about it, maybe it's even better than the Bible. (laughs) But as you were preaching, I kept thinking of Adam and Eve. I kept thinking of Moses and Aaron and the golden calf. I kept thinking about David and Bathsheba. Even more, I kept thinking of Christ on the cross saying to those who are watching him die, well, if everybody's okay, what am I doing up here? If I'm okay and you're okay, then maybe we don't need a morning like today where we come to the communion table. If we're all okay, then we really don't need Lent and Easter. We don't need God's mercy. We don't need confession. We don't need repentance. We don't need a clean heart. We really don't need Psalm 51. However, it's my conviction that I'm not okay. I'm not okay, and I hope you share a similar conviction. And so as we continue our series of sermons through what we're calling the Summer in the Psalms, I believe we need to continue to hold on to the practice of confession, not just in the liturgical way in which we did it just now. And there is great validity and importance to do that kind of liturgical practice. But as part of our daily living, we need to hold on to the practice of confession as a church and as individuals. One of my go-to theologians, Cornelius Plattingay, who teaches at the, the um, seminary in Grand Rapids, he wrote in his book, A Breviary of Sin, he said this, he said, recalling and confessing our sin is like taking out the garbage. Once is not enough. Once is not enough. Now, It's possible that some of you here this morning are not familiar with the psalm, and that's okay. It's okay. That's why it's great to be reading the Bible together. And not only that, but some of us may not be familiar with the story behind this psalm. And if you want to read more about this psalm and the story behind it, you could go to 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. You could also take a look at Psalm 32, because I think there is sort of a a resonance within Psalm 32 that we find here in Psalm 51. But if you read 2 Samuel 11 and 12, you're going to read about this mighty Judean king by the name of David, mighty and yet weak. David committed adultery with a neighbor, this woman by the name of Bathsheba. She became pregnant. And David, like what all of us will do when we have failed, we try to do something to cover it up because it's, it's so embarrassing to fail. I don't care who you are. It is embarrassing. And so David tried to cover his tracks by having the woman's husband killed in battle. And I suppose then people would assume that she got pregnant by her husband. 
Well, it didn't work. He was outed. And on this communion Sunday, as we read this story, I want us to hold up in your mind a little sign that has three words on it, handle with care. You know, as church folks, we sometimes are not willing to look within. I can more easily spot your flaws. You can more easily spot my flaws. And guess what? We have a hard time sort of looking within. So I want you to hold up in your mind as you read stories like these in the Bible, handle with care. Why do we, why do, we do that? Well, because we all have things in, a, in the closet. We all have things that we look back on and we say, wow, that was part of my life. Hold up that sign with those three words, handle with care, because as Christians, we can easily delude ourselves into thinking, I would never, ever do anything like that. I'm smarter, I'm stronger. I would never make that kind of mistake, and we delude ourselves into thinking. Hold up the sign as you read these kinds of stories in the Bible, because a day will come, God forbid, but a day will come when we will fail, we will fall, we will stumble, we will sin, and maybe not necessarily in the manner of King David, but we will have our own fall from grace. We will. And so what do we do? What do we do when we sow to the wind, as, the, as the, the, the writer in Ecclesiastes says, we sow to the wind and we reap the whirlwind. What do we do? How do we recover when we have stumbled and we have fallen and we're on our faces? What do we do? How do we get back on our feet? And so I just, before we come to the communion table, I just want to share a few of the insights that I found from David's confession of Psalm 51. I think, first of all, one of the things I want us to keep in mind, and, and, and so many times when I've fallen in the various ways that I've stumbled and I've fallen, I keep reminding myself that my failures are not simply a matter of what I do. It's not a matter of what I do. My failures, our failures, are a matter of what we do because of who we are. And there's a lot of truth in that, and you need to sort of write that down or put it somewhere so you could really think it over. It's not what we do. It's what we do because of who we are. And I think when we fail to understand this principle, then we trivialize our behavior. We really do. We keep telling ourselves, I'm not that bad. Look at you. Look at those people. I am not that bad. And we get into this thing of measuring sin. This psalm doesn't make sense, guys, unless we understand that there is something fundamentally wrong with us as human beings. We have a sin problem. This psalm doesn't make sense if you think in your mind that David was just having one of those bad days. Maybe he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe he had too much to drink the night before. Maybe he stayed up and watched too much Netflix. No. David, like you and like me, we have a problem. I think back to 1983 when Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave his 1983 Templeton Prize address 
And in his speech, and you could look it up on the web, he offered up his explanation for the horrors of communism in the former Soviet bloc nations. And, and this is how he summed it up in his speech. He said that men have forgotten God, and that's why all of this has happened. We've forgotten God. What is he saying? He's saying exactly that the problem of the human family, that it is spiritual. Now, some of you would immediately dismiss my words as just the words of Pastor Ray, the ultra-conservative. He's so uninformed. He's so backward. And some people would say, Pastor, you need to sort of get, you need to get an upgrade to where civilization is right now. That the nature of the human condition is created and fostered by social conditions. It's not something innate, Pastor. If we could just fix the social maladies, if we could just address the issues that, are, that people in our communities are facing, then we would be able to see this new person emerge. So having read, we heard it in the confession and we've read it as Peg read it, which view do you think Psalm 51 takes? Are the problems we're facing, is it because of external issues, social issues? Is that what caused David's problem? problems? Is that what's causing our problems? Or were his problems generated by his failure to remember God in his day-to-day, -day, the day-to-day -day details of his life? Now, you know which way I'm going to go with this. We're sinners, friends. Sinners in need of confession and repentance. Why is it so hard for us to embrace that? And I think that's what I want to say for the rest of my time before we get to the communion table. I think it's hard to say this. It's because we forget God. We forget, as David says, notice how the psalm opens up. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. One of the reasons why it's hard for us to, to kind of fess up and own up, it's because we have a flawed view of God. And we need this morning to hear it loud and clear that the God you and I have been worshiping, at least in this building so far, is a God who is merciful. And when we fall, when we stumble, when we sin, Step number one is to look up and believe that this God is merciful. I keep coming back to one of my favorite lines in, in the psalm, Psalm 133 and verse 3. It says, if you, O God, kept a record of our wrongs, none of us would be able to stand. But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be worshipped and revered. I am convinced that when we see the gravity of our sin, when we see the ways in which we've messed up, it is then that we will luxuriate and we will appreciate the vastness of God's mercy. So David knew his sin how do we know that? He uses these three very different words to describe his sin. He said, blot out my transgressions. 
transgression. It's like you cross over a, a line that's been marked out. Don't cross this line, but you cross it. And David did it. He said, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. The iniquities, it describes who we are, our nature. Cleanse me from my sin. It describes David missing the mark. And so if we're going to recover, if we're going to get back up on our feet, we must be prepared to go there. We need to look at ourselves for who we are and just own it, admit to it. Notice the probing nature of his confession. He says, for I know my transgressions. Now, he wasn't always that transparent. Nathan had to nudge him along. But once it became clear and David said, okay, God knows, Nathan knows. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. So he's really telling all of us, pastors, whatever your role is in life, doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. doesn't matter what your station in life is. There is a part of you that will succumb, that breaks down, that gives in. And David said, I know my transgressions. He doesn't shift the blame. That's the other thing we do, right? Why it is so difficult to confess and say I'm sorry to God and to others and to repent because we really don't think we're that bad. And David, instead of passing the buck, he said, I know my sin. He knew that he had revolted against God. And what does he do? He throws himself on the mercy of God and he says, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And he's not saying that I didn't sin against Bathsheba, Bathsheba and Uriah and his family and friends. He's not saying that, but he wants us to know that first and foremost he violated the love and the law of God. He broke God's law when he coveted. That's the 10th commandment. He broke God's law when he committed adultery. That's the 7th commandment. He broke God's law when he was a, a, a collaborator in the murder and the death of Uriah. That's the 6th commandment. He broke God's law when he lied about it. That's the 10th commandment. And when we break God's law, friends, we suffer, we suffer, we suffer. And people suffer. And that's the reason why I have never, ever believed in my life the lie that people tell themselves, well, I'm doing what I'm doing, and as long as nobody's getting hurt, it's okay. And that's so false. What we do affects us. It affects other people. And of course, it's a violation of what God would expect of us. And the end result of breaking God's law is to fall under God's judgment. And, and it's interesting what, what, what David said. He says, you are then justified in your sentence. You are blameless when you pass judgment. We're bl God, is, God is blameless. And then he says these words, again, describing the, the full nature of the struggle that we have. He says, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. Now, that's a, that's a tricky statement, isn't it? You look at a beautiful child and you see the innocence of a child and you say, well, that child is a sinner. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that there is something again within me, that nature, that propensity, that given the right circumstances, I will, I will go the other way. 
And I think this is why we desperately then must look away from ourselves to the mercy of God. And when we see ourselves as we are, when we see ourselves as we are, we're rebels against God's plan for our lives. We justly deserve God's judgment. We then would turn and cry out to God and ask for God's mercy. The thing about God, you, you could just go from Old Testament to New Testament. And can I just say this? You know, you hear people say, well, you know, I don't like the Old Testament. I don't like the God of the Old Testament, but I like the God of the New Testament. Well, again, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again that God says to his people that I am a compassionate God. I am gracious. I am merciful. I am patient forgiving the sins of my people to the second and the third and the fourth generation. God is rich in mercy. And God then delights in cleansing us and forgiving us. And through the rest of the psalm, he uses these vivid, vivid words. He says, cleanse me from the dirt of my sin. Blot out all my transgressions. And then my favorite psalm, verse 11, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put within me a willing spirit. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. God is merciful. God is forgiving. God is patient. And we see that displayed throughout this beautiful psalm. It's funny, when you get to the New Testament and you read Romans 3 and verse 23, you hear Paul echoing these words. Romans 3:23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the beginning point to coming to Christ. That's the beginning point to growing as a Christian in Christ. It's recognizing the struggle. But it doesn't stop there. He says this, Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by His grace as a gift. A gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood. So we have a problem with sin. God answers that problem by sending Jesus as a gift. He died for us on the cross. He shed his blood to atone for the things that we have done. And friends, this is the reason why we come to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper has a profound message. If you're not a believer here this morning, this will just be like taking a snack. But it's deeper than that. When you, when you recognize your sin and you recognize the rich mercy of God, then when you come to the Lord's table and you hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you, the, 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 the blood of Christ shed for your sin, this is what reminds us. It brings us back day after day, week after week, month after month, reminding us that we are forgiven. We're not known for what we've done. We're not known for what we're going to do. We're known as adopted children of Almighty God. And so this message from the Lord's Supper is for all of us strugglers who are seeking to be the people that God has called us to be. 
And in the communion service, the message this morning is that God has known us and God has loved us before the foundations of the world, that God in his grace and his mercy sent his son to die for you and me. And I just find it amazing that there are people, especially people who come to church and are still yet to say, Lord, I give you my all. I give you my soul. I love you because you first loved me. It says to me that we need to do continually this opening up of the gospel to all of us because it is in the gospel that we hear this message of transformation. It is in the gospel that we hear this message of reconciliation. It is in the gospel that we hear of the power to transform. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It's a gift through Jesus Christ. And in so receiving that gift, God empowers us to get back on our feet. It's not something we achieve. It is something that we receive. And you will receive. You will receive the bread. You will receive the cup as signs of God's grace and God's forgiveness. So as we come to the table, don't forget, friends, don't forget Christ died for you. Christ was raised for you. Christ is reigning for you. Christ is coming again for you. And I know when we fail, it's hard. It's hard to get back up. It's hard to forgive ourselves. It's hard to believe that we're forgiven. And we assume that whenever people look at us, they're just saying, there she goes, there he goes. But when God looks at you, that's where you need to start. You realize that you are forgiven. You're delivered. You have been cleansed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's people say, Amen.